It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. We'll talk some local sports, maybe a national sports topic or two. We'll get to our gambling segment and my favorite segment where you can ask me a question on anything. Just go to the Twitters. Rick will hit you up each week. Hit the, hit the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything and forward it on to Rick, and he will ask away on any topic, sports or otherwise. We are doing this podcast uh, on the morning after the day after former Red Brandon Drury helped the San Diego Padres rally past the Phillies. Boy, it hurts to see former Reds doing well in the playoffs, does it not? Oh, well, I thought everybody was mad at Jesse Winker. Are we not talking about that anymore? I'm not mad at Jesse Winker. Well, all of the Mariners, right? Yeah, he's a bad teammate and doesn't try and everything. Let's get back to talking about Jesse Winker. I don't, I'm, I don't want to talk about the former Reds doing well. <laughs> uh, it, it is it is bizarro to see. That's what that's that's for sure. There was a lot of Reds dotted throughout this postseason, wasn't there? I guess I haven't watched, so no, hard I've to say for me. I've watched. Um, have you watched uh, the early returns of the NBA yet? I, I watched a little bit of of Sixers Celtics, but I I did not watch much past that. I have. It's been very good already. First night was high quality of play, a lot of scoring. And the Lakers still suck. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. We yeah. uh we got a lot of college sports to talk about today, actually. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we're gonna start with the NFL and the Bengals, of course. The Bengals are tied with the Ravens for first place in the AFC North at three and three after taking down the Saints 30 to 26 on Sunday. They'll host the Falcons at 1 p.m. this coming Sunday. The Bengals' offense remains topic A with this team, Skinny. We saw a little more even-keeled and efficient performance out of the offense last Sunday against the Saints, scoring a touchdown in every quarter and getting points on five out of eight possessions, including all three of their touches in the second half. Do you think they found something with their offense, or do you think that this is more of a one-off solution against a specific opponent? I, I think they found something. I think they found something with the shotgun. I think they found something with the RPOs. Um, I think they're now going to force defenses to maybe start adjusting to them, and then we may be able to see some more of the of the shots down the field. Maybe then we'll see some more under center. But um, if they're going to run it as effectively as they've run it the last and, and go back to the middle portion of the second quarter of that um, of that Baltimore game when Joe Mixon had over his last 12 rushes, 76 yards, when they were out of the shotgun all but four snaps in that. You know, we made a big deal of them being only out of shotgun all but the the sneak and the knee in this last game. Well, they pretty much went to that route, you know, from the second midway part of the second quarter on against Baltimore as well and had great success. So I think they're finding success with shotgun runs. That's then leading to finding great success with the RPOs. And at some point then, if, if defenses are, are going to gonna keep playing you like that, you are going to put together long drives and, and you are going to be efficient and defenses are going to get tired of that and then they're going to change the way they play you. So, yeah, I think they have found something. One thing that was interesting is the Saints, for some reason, maybe because they just weren't comfortable with it, decided to go against what everyone else in the NFL was doing against the Bengals. And they actually won a lot of single high looks. They they didn't go cover two the whole game like a lot of other teams did. And the Bengals took advantage of that. So that's why at some point I'm wondering, you know, is this more about the fact that the Saints just weren't willing to stick with the cover two like other teams have been? Or was it more about what the Bengals were doing on the offensive side? And I tend to agree with you that I think going to shotgun, making everything look the same, making Joe Burrow feel more comfortable probably has more to do with this than anything. But I, I will say you have to give Zach Taylor credit. 
for at least being willing to change up what they're doing. Agreed. He may not he may not be willing to give up the play calling duties, but he doesn't seem too rigid in his, in his system, at least. Well, and, and he did mention that, hey, this was kind of uh, specific for this game um, that, you know, maybe there'll be a game where we're 98 percent under center. I'm, I'm having you a hard time. That? I'm not buying that. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I think he's saying that. And I do think, I've said this before, I think that is what the basis of the Sean McVay offense is, is getting under center, establishing your run game, getting your motions, and doing all your bootlegs and 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 um, and nakeds and things off of off of that and your play action deep shots off of that. Right or wrong, Joe Burrow's just not comfortable turning his back to the defense. He's just not. He's really comfortable in the shotgun. But the thing that has to marry with that is you have to be able to run it out of shotgun. And they've done that. I think that gives them then the, the confidence to say, all right, hey, if we're going to run it this effectively out of shotgun and run these RPOs, we are really sticking at the defenses because they got it. It puts a lot, as, as Zach said on Monday, and we talked to Brian Callahan a little bit about this yesterday. It does. It puts a lot of stress on linebackers, right? I mean, they're having to make really quick reads. Is he going to give it? And if he's not going to give it, are we going to get enough depth where, you know, one of those guys is running a slant or a, a deep dig in behind us? Probably not. It puts a lot of stress on that. And, and you know, Joe reading it properly of, of, you know, pulling it and throwing it or going ahead and leaving it with Joe sometimes. Um, I think it's just I think for right now it's an effective way for them to go. And I think it makes your quarterback comfortable and right or wrong. He's the guy that's got to be the most comfortable running what you got. Yeah, that's right. They needed to get Joe Burrow feeling right and committing to the shotgun only look seemed to do that. And I think what Joe Burrow does best at this point in his career is quickly make decisions and make reads and, and get it out of his hands quick. He's got a quick release. Exactly. And a quick being the key word there. And like you just mentioned, the RPO really plays into that skill set well. He's able to diagnose quickly. Here's the look they just gave us. And here's where I'm going with it right now. And that, that works successfully, especially throwing the ball over the middle a little bit more. Right. Because that was something we talked about them needing to do. And you saw the RPO get some of that open where you're able to freeze that linebacker an extra second when you put the, the ball out for the running back, then cock it back and throw it real quick on that quick slant. That that was something we haven't really seen much this year at all until this game. Yeah, and, and I think when they've gone to primarily shotgun in the past, they've, they've fiddled with a lot of five wide stuff. I think you're seeing now you got Joe Mixon back there in the backfield. And I, 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 I've said it, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again, and, I, and I'm glad I'm wrong now, but I, I, I never thought Joe was comfortable running out of the shotgun. Well, he looks more comfortable doing it in the RPOs out of the shotgun. And um, again, you have to have that. You can't just say we're going to be in the gun and run RPOs if you can't run it. I mean, it's kind of like play action. Play action don't work unless you can run it. And they've been really effective the last two games running the ball. I mean, Joe didn't get a lot of carries this last game, eight for 46 yards. But yeah, I think Zach mentioned on Monday, you know, you call those RPOs and, you know, maybe five more of the, the pass plays that Joe read that were effective could have just as easily been runs for Joe Mixon. He just made the read to turn it into a pass play. So while he only ran it eight times, didn't mean his number wasn't called in that situation a few more times. He just didn't get the handoff. And it, that's fine. As long as it's working, I don't, I don't care if Joe Mixon carries it two times or 28 times. It's funny because I think it was two or three weeks ago when that ESPN video came out the breakdown that had Dan Orlovsky and Marcus Spears and uh, Ryan Clark all talking about why it was so much easier to defend the Bengals, given that they were playing out of the shotgun so much and not playing out of or playing under center more often and what it did to their play action game and why it made their runs way more predictable and easier to shut down and all that type of stuff. And I agreed with it at the time. It seemed like across the Internet, a lot of people were praising the video, especially Bengals fans and saying, yeah, look at this. They're right. And I totally agreed with it. 
And now here we are a couple of weeks later. And you know what I saw a lot of this week was breakdowns and people talking about, well, look what the Bengals did. Went shotgun only RPO. It's perfect for Joe Burrow and their offense. So I mean, it's funny how that narrative quickly changed. But again, I just go back to you had to get nine feeling confident yes. and doing whatever he does best. And I think this lended itself to that. And, yeah, I, and I, I don't know that it's ideal in the NFL necessarily, but right now for where you're at with this quarterback and this team and this offensive line and this running game, it is the best option. I agree. And I, I think you saw it play out. So I don't think it's a one-off. I think you're going to see them do this until it's not effective. And maybe this is the way it's going to be for the next eight years. I don't know, but uh, I know for now it, over the last six and a half quarters, they've been pretty effective moving the football um, and, and moving it almost at will, to be honest with you. I think maybe the biggest storyline going into Sunday's game now is what's going on with Logan Wilson. We heard Zach Taylor say he's day to day and he won't rule him out for the Sunday necessarily. And then Jeremy Fowler tweeted that the timetable is around two to five weeks. And Zach Taylor is basically just saying that he's day to day. Should we assume he's out for this Sunday? And if yes. so, how much will that impact the Bengals against the run heavy attack of the Falcons? Yes, I think it's safe to assume he's out for this game and and, and maybe even for the for the next game. I, I do think that they got a second opinion on Tuesday or maybe even Monday. When we talked to Zach on Monday, he said he was hopeful at that time it would be week to week. When you're hopeful of week to week, that then lends itself to being a lengthy injury, right? And he re-injured that 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 same shoulder that he had the the surgery on. Then I'm going to guess the second opinion came back and, and was pretty favorable to the point where he was able to say um, now week to week um, and maybe even now day to day. I, I think some of this is a bit of a smokescreen for this week of putting whatever doubt that, that you need to put in Atlanta's mind that, that Logan Wilson's going to play. I don't know if that changes their attack whatsoever or not. Um, so I know I, I don't think he plays this week, but um can you get by with it for a game or two? I think you can. I, I think I've said it before. I think Logan Wilson's a Pro Bowl level player, so you can't lose those guys on a on a consistent basis and survive. But I think Jermaine Pratt's proven to be more than capable. I think Akeem Davis Gaither played for Jermaine Pratt in that uh, Jets game and ended up having a team high thirteen tackles and a team high nine solo tackles and played really well. And he's developed a little bit. So can you get by for a game? Yes, but I would think you'd need a thumper like Logan Wilson back for for Cleveland or DJ Reader back for Cleveland, and I think that's the way that that's trending in that direction. Well, that'd be huge. I mean, get getting Reader right now. Granted, you still have to be able to secure the edge a little bit better than they've been. That's been a, a, maybe a bigger issue than anything in terms of the run game, but. It concerns you if hey, if you're having an issue on the edge already, and then you lose DJ Reader and Logan Wilson you're not going to get better in terms of your run support. So it would be nice to get DJ reader back, at least firm up that middle of the, the defensive line again, and then uh, go from there in terms of figuring out how to slow down the runs on the edge. Yeah. I mean, you're playing a team that, that has a little bit of a different run attack this week. I mean, you're playing obviously a power running team next week in, in Cleveland. So for sure, I would want DJ reader back for that. I mean, let's not forget Josh Tupa was a, was a very capable rotational piece that you're now missing. So up the spine of your defense, True. you are, a bit compromised. Um, I, I did think Luana Rumo made a pretty good point, and I didn't think of it in those terms when we talked to him on Monday of, you know, 100 of their yards came on three runs, and one of them was that jet sweep where they got caught in man-to-man and missed a couple of tackles. He said it was their worst tackling game of the season. Um, where he said, you know, we normally miss, you know, four tackles for 30 yards. This game we missed eight for 80 yards. And, um, you, you know, you don't want that to crop up, but that can happen on occasion in the NFL. And he sounded pretty confident that he thought that was a one-off for his defense. 
We're going to find out because here comes the number three rushing team in the NFL this week in Atlanta. And, and they got some quarterback runs in their game too. They got some different stuff that they'll do. And, um, you know, you, you can't let them dominate time of possession kind of like New Orleans did because New Orleans almost stole a victory doing that. Yeah, well, you had the long one that went around the right at right side for the touchdown. That was where all such the a good play. I got to be honest, that was such a good play, though. That and that I, dude I, was flying too. I'll give Andy Dalton a lot of credit. I mean, he got that hand, that snap and the handoff were so perfectly timed. For a second, I didn't even know who had the football, and I'm going to guess the Bengals defense didn't either. They were in man coverage, which means what? Your defensive backs now have their backs turned running down the field until they realize, oh, crap, here comes a guy towards us. And then the guy ends up out juking Eli Apple on the sidelines and going for the touchdown. And he was flying. You're right. Yeah, I think it was maybe Jermaine Pratt there on the edge, too, initially, who just had no idea that the ball had been handed off. He was no, I thought it was beautifully down on the designed. Yeah, it yeah. Was beautifully designed. And then uh, out the left side, I remember one of their long runs was Taysom Hill, who was hit. I think Zach Carter had him dead to rights at at, like the line of scrimmage or maybe in the backfield and just missed the tackle. Yeah, there's there were two missed tackles on that play. And then tomorrow runs. I realized the the three runs he talked, he said they got three runs for 100 yards in succession. And when he said that, I'm like, what is he talking about in succession? I went back and looked on. Holy cow, he's right. 44 yards, 31 yards. Then Kamara ran for 24 on three plays. Was that Kamara one up the uh, up the middle or yes, to the yes, okay? Because yeah. I know the first two were to the edge. I mean, it really wasn't about missing guys up the middle. It was all about the same issue they've had all season, really. So, so if you take those three runs out, and you can't, and I'm not trying to, and I'm not absolving them of blame because they were not very good against the run. The other 31 carries got got New Orleans 129 yards. That's roughly four a pop. I can live with that. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it felt all game. That's for sure. When you when you realize that, hey, most of it was limited to that one drive, really, or not one drive. I guess it was back to back drives, but back to back drive. Yeah, because the touchdown yeah. and then on the next drive, the, the thirty one yard hill run and the twenty four yard Camara run. Yeah. Oh, but by the way, Kamara, you you're, you're saying it right now. I've heard it that way my and as long as he's been in the NFL that I can recall. I mean, I, he was a big fantasy football guy a couple of years ago. You heard him a lot. All of a sudden, this week, I'm listening to the game, I'm watching the game, and I hear everyone saying, Camara. I see. I hear Dan Horde say that initially on the radio before the game. I thought I thought his name was Alvin Kamara, and I hear Camara. And then we get to the broadcast, and whoever was doing the color, who was an absolute drip, I mean, just terrible, by the way. I can't uh, remember Adam who it was. I think it was Adam Marshall. Oh, of course, of course it was. Yeah, he stinks. He's always stunk. He drops a uh, Adam Kamara. Oh, excuse me, Camara. And I was like, wait, did, was that a change this year? Did he change his last that's name good. the way it's pronounced? What, what's that, going that, on with that? That's a good question because I, 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 I'm I, not even sure how I'm pronouncing it. Well, do you think it's Kamara or Kamara? I think it's Kamara. Yeah, that's what it's always been. Everyone's always said it that way that I've heard. And then this past week, listening to the game, I heard both Dan Ward and uh, the both TV I, broadcasters calling it Kamara. I, 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 you know what? I, I don't have within reach. I'll have to look at my New Orleans Saints uh, media notes from last week because they usually have pronunciations in there. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's a pronunciation. You know what? I've got. Hang on, I might be able to grab it. Give me one second. Solve this very important mystery. What what team doesn't put a pronunciation guide together, right? Right. You're a broadcaster. Hey, what is this? A Horizon League basketball? You do college basketball games, yeah, they yeah. give you a pronunciation guide, don't they? Sometimes, not always in the Horizon League. Yeah, Maybe right. That's Big East, point. you always do at least. That's probably a good point. How the Saints were built? I don't care how they were built. I don't know how they say this cat's name. I, I, I don't believe I have. I don't believe they have a pronunciation guide in the team notes. How is that possible, Rick? That's that's a legit shot. That is a legit shot. Well, they're, 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 the Saints team notes like they, they were done by the by the junior high school class at uh, pick your favorite junior high school. It is like literally old school 
Here we go. Pronunciations. Here we go. Pronunciation guide. Here we go. Here we go. Ah, Camara. So it is Mare. Yep, Camara. But Here now, but now I just want to know: is it is that like something he just decided this year? Has it yeah. always been that way, and everyone's just been saying it wrongly? That I don't know. It's. I mean, question. I I heard Archuleta say on the broadcast, Camara. Excuse me, Camara. Like he corrected himself. Like maybe, uh, there was maybe, a change maybe, in his mind. Maybe he's decided to have it pronounced that way. Um, you know, Nick Vigil of the Bengals, the former Bengals linebacker, was is literally his last name is pronounced V Hill. But he told us, just call me Vigil. That's what everybody's always called me. And then occasionally you'd say it and you'd have somebody that would clap back and it's pronounced V-Hill. Now he said it's fine to call him Nick Vigil. Right. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that someone's been like, hey, actually, this is how you say my right. name. Right, no, right. right. So, nope. yeah. so there it is. From the official Saints media notes from last week on their pronunciation guide. you need anybody else's name pronounced from the Saints? No, no. I appreciate you clearing that up. It is Andy Dalton, right? Is that, is that It is Andy Dalton. That's okay. correct. Thank you. AKA Red Rifle. Yeah, that's right. Uh, have you you got anything else here with the the Bengals and Falcons game? No, I, I do. I do. I do think the injuries are a big thing up the spine of the defense. I mean, you're missing, you know, arguably your two best run stopping tackles, and I, I doesn't. Disc- I'm not trying to discredit BJ Hill, but those two guys are are primarily, you know, nose type tackle guys. So now you're down to number three on that list. Be it Jay Tufeli, be it Tyler Shelvin, God forbid. And, and you are missing a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. I have a lot of faith in Akeem Davis Gaither. You know, I talked to him a little bit in the locker room yesterday, wrote a, wrote a story kind of tied into the Logan Wilson injury thing. I think he has a lot of confidence in himself. He started to really get some snaps last year before he got hurt. I know they think he's just a perfect number three linebacker at the moment, but that also means he probably occasionally is going to have to play. And don't be shocked if, if Joe Bocci isn't, uh, isn't active for, for oh, this game. Our guy, Joe Bocci. Tell you what, I've never heard a guy talk to more glowing terms that doesn't play a whole lot than than Joe Bocci from from coaches. It's a great spot to be in if you don't play a lot. It is. You're right. Good call. All right. Let's move on to college football. Great week of college football. Ohio State still number two. Kentucky up three spots to number 19. Cincinnati is still 21 in the AP poll. But the big story is the team right behind Ohio State now. Georgia's number one overall, OSU number two, and your num- your new number three, Tennessee Volunteers, followed by Michigan at four, Clemson at five, and Alabama down three spots to six after the 52-49 loss at Tennessee in an instant classic. Skinny, we often talk on this podcast in positive terms about gambling and how fun it makes Games, you know, you got you got a, a thirty point game. It's going to be a blowout like the Georgia Vanderbilt game this past weekend, and you bet it thirty eight and a half or whatever. It makes it a fun game. You're there at the end. It is it is interesting to see what's going to happen in a game that normally would be completely boring. I'm here to warn you about the other side, which is if you bet Alabama before a game and then three times on the live line during what's an instant classic where everyone wants Tennessee to win, and it's a great thing that Alabama's going to lose, and you should be rooting for Alabama to lose, it kind of takes your enjoyment out of it when you've quadrupled down on Alabama, and they do, in fact, lose, which is exactly the spot I found myself in Saturday. Now I have the post-clarity to realize that it was... You faded me. You faded me. I told you what I was going to bet. I told you I was going to bet on Nick Saban and not on Josh Heupel, but I have to say, I love Josh Heupel now. I'm a huge Josh Heupel guy. He's a stud. Uh, I don't know about the stud portion of it. He looks like a, he looks like he just ate a blimp, but which I love. I love he's fat. He's, I mean, he's got huge rocks on him. Like 
Tennessee just coming back and answering with bombs every time it looked like Bama was getting on a roll was fantastic. I mean, they didn't even they didn't even try to put together a long drive and say, no, let's let's slow this thing down. Take the air out of it. It's like, nope, 75 yard touchdown strike. We're right back here. Last week, my, my on, when we did our best bet, I, I had Tennessee on the money line and the points. I was I was in on the Vols. I, I think they're legit. They are. They turns out they were legit. I mean, look, had to play those odds. It's been like 15 years of this hearing that they are legit finally this year, and then them getting their brains beaten in by. The I thought. Actual... I thought they. Yeah, I thought they started getting legit the second half of last year. Uh, they they just their offense got rolling the second. In fact, they came into Lexington. Outgun Kentucky, whatever that was, 45-42. I mean, just that was a kind of a crazy back-and-forth game, too. Um, and they really have not stopped since then. They Their offense is just dynamic. I'm really looking forward to next week's game when Kentucky goes down there because I could probably tell you Kentucky will be outside of Georgia the best defense Tennessee's faced. Now, can that, does that mean they can keep them under 40? I don't know. Just watching that game in general, Skinny, both defenses look a bit problematic for national championship contenders. I'll I'll say no that. Question. No question. But from an offensive standpoint, and you factor in Ohio State into this too, and you think about what they can do on the offensive side, we've got some fireworks potential for this year's college football playoff. I yeah, mean, I the can, top teams all seem like they can freaking score like could, crazy. Could we have a total of 80 in one of those semifinals? I mean, it's not a question when you look at who the top teams are right now. And of course... With Tennessee winning this game, it throws a lot of wrenches into things. I mean, it, what it happens really, in the it SEC? It really does. It really does. So, so let's play this scenario out. I think we can safely say both, and I, I know Penn State still plays Ohio State. Ohio State's going to steamroll them. I think it's safe to say we're going to get to Michigan, Ohio State with both undefeated, right? Well, I am I am not going to say it's safe to say that because we've we've seen it too often get screwed up before it gets there. But it, it feels like both teams definitely should be undefeated going into that right, game. So, so, so and both are a- legit. So that becomes a winner take all because whoever wins that's going to beat the team from the other side in the Big Ten championship. So that and that feels like it's Ohio State. I think they're the better team. So that's one team in, right? So now that leaves us with three open spots, which then puts us to the following scenario: Tennessee wins every other game other than other than Georgia. Their one loss then at the end of the season, they're sitting at eleven and one, lose to Georgia. Don't play in the SEC championship game, and let's say it's a competitive loss to Georgia. Georgia then goes undefeated, goes to the SEC championship game, loses to Alabama. They all three have one loss in a round-robin way. Do all three then get in with Ohio State? Where does Clemson fit into this mix now? Um, You know people will be arguing to get three SEC teams in, and I'll say this year they might not be wrong about them being three of the four best teams, but – there's what no Clemson, way you can do that in a 14 goes, playoff. What if Clemson goes unbeaten? I mean, they have, and they have a very good chance. I, I don't think they're very good, mind you. I don't think they're in the caliber of these others, but I think it'd be impossible to keep an undefeated Clemson out with their cachet of, of recent history. I agree. Well, they're not as good as those other teams, but they have gotten their toughest games out of the way already. Yeah, they, they got undefeated. They got they got undefeated Syracuse this week, but it is at home. Yeah, they're, okay. They're you a two touchdown. They're a two touchdown favorite. I mean, no, I don't, I don't think it's a hard game, but they are undefeated. Yeah, they've had multiple one score spreads this year already. Syracuse is not one of their toughest. No, teams. I'm 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 noting yeah, that's fair. But I mean, I, I in fairness, they are undefeated. Yeah, they're they're undefeated. I know that's. I mean, it's uh, it's fascinating now to see Tennessee completely mix this thing, which is what we needed. You know, it was it was worrisome that it was going to be just Alabama and Georgia the whole way this season. And then we started getting some scares for both of those teams. And finally, Tennessee comes through and gave us the the big upset that we needed. And I don't even know it's really considered a big upset considering where Tennessee was at, but 
They they got the big win. I don't know how much this says about Alabama because it was a road loss. And while I thought the defense was bad and I thought there was some uncharacteristically bad decision-making in terms of how they handled the end of the game where they didn't run the clock out like they should have on that final possession and they were throwing the ball as they're getting close to field goal territory. It was it was very strange how they handled the, the clock there late in the game and, and allowed Tennessee to win that. But I, they could still win a college football championship this year, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, you look at the Heisman race, and in my mind, Penn and Hooker took the lead with that performance. Oh, if, if, if they go into the national, if they go even to the playoffs, in my opinion, and while I love Bryce Young, I mean, Bryce Young missed a couple of games. Hennon Hooker's a Heisman Trophy winner. Well, he would be in my mind right now after that performance. But I'll say this, Bryce Young was even more incredible than he was, I think, in that game. Bryce Young made some plays that if he didn't make, Alabama would have had no chance at all. Same thing in the in the, in the, in the, uh, the Texas game, the plays that he made. Yeah, he, he's been great. So, I mean, he's still got to be in the running. But I tell you what, I looked at FanDuel today to look at their updated odds for the Heisman Trophy. C.J. Stroud is still the heavy favorite at plus 100. He's the safe play. Hooker's at plus 480. Caleb Williams from USC is plus 900. He's the third best, o- or third best odds. Blake Corum, running back, plus 1,200 from Michigan. It's a good little dark horse one because if Michigan runs the table, he's certainly the, the, the focal point of their offense. And then Bryce Young's dropped all the way to plus 2,000. Well, and I think some of that was because he missed a couple of games with the injury. Well, so do I. But after the way he just performed in that game and what we've seen him do already this year, I mean, and especially being an Alabama quarterback, I probably would have guessed he would have been higher than that. And then right behind him is DJ Uyunglele. Yeah. I think that's the... Ugh the last guy that really has a chance here yeah, because Clemson will be undefeated. I don't think he's going to win. He's plus 2,500. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Yeah. So, I mean, that it's who do you, who do you like in the Heisman race right now? Is it hooker? Is that, would that be your favorite? No, I think it would be CJ Stroud. Cause it, cause I mean, he, he's been piloting this offense all year and I don't see them losing where I, I do see Tennessee stumbling to a Georgia, but if they go through Georgia and hooker is going to be a big reason why. And then that probably vaults Hennon hooker up. So as we sit here today, I'd still say C.J. Stroud, but if Hooker does does anything of note in an upset of Georgia, then I think he vaults ahead of C.J. Stroud. Well, you and definitely you have argue- the better odds with Hooker, too, at plus 480. Correct. No, right, correct. Were you going to say something else there? You, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I mean, C.J. Stroud's been – it feels like he's playing a Madden game where he can just pick out any – I don't know if you saw the AP midseason All-American teams or not. Did you see that by chance? I didn't. Well, the two wide receivers were Ohio State wide receivers, and neither one of them were Smith and Jingba. What does that tell you? <laughs> I mean, it's that's crazy. Joke. It is. Yeah, I think the only week that Marvin Harrison hasn't absolutely dominated was whatever week I bet the over on his yards at like 72 yards. Every other week he's had like 180. That was probably the week that and that was the week that I think CJ Stroud didn't throw a touchdown and Mayan Williams ran for five and then Mayan Williams gets hurt and doesn't play the next. They're so absurd how talented they are. They're absurd. It's just a joke. Well, real quick before we get to the, the one local game we had, we should mention also the Michigan Penn State game. Michigan wins 41-17. We mentioned it briefly, but how legit of a contender is Michigan in your mind, Skinny? I think they're legit. They run it. They're, I think they're great defensively, and they're great defensively when they get a lead and they can rush the passer. Their pass rush is just dynamic. Um, so when they get a lead on you and you have to throw, they bear you. That would be my fear for Ohio State of, of getting punked in the run game last year by Michigan. Michigan building another lead in, in this year's game. Michigan playing from ahead with that pass rush. That would be the only thing that would worry me, but I still think Ohio State's better, and they got them at their place. 
I think so too. And I think you also have the revenge factor from last year. That's going to be built into this game, which you can say, <laughs> Oh, that's nonsense, whatever. But in this rivalry game, is it like, it seems like there's a lot of built up stuff going on in that game typically. So uh, I'll take Ohio state in that game for sure. But when I look at Michigan, I don't know that there's a defense designed to stop them this year. Stop They're, what Ohio state? No, designed to stop Michigan's rushing attack. There's um, not, there's not a lot of de- so many defenses in college now are built to stop the spread offense and all the yeah. passing going on. I don't know that you know Illinois and Ohio State back to back will test them. I thought Iowa did a pretty good job. The problem for Iowa was they couldn't get anything going on offense. Yeah, and and I would be one of the teams you'd throw in that category that you would think would have a chance, um, but. Illinois is giving up 2.9 yards per carry. Ohio State giving up three yards per carry. Those are uh, two of the top teams in the country in terms of run defense right now. So those two will test them back to back. Yeah, and I could also argue, again, I'm in this Ohio State's foot. I think they're great. I've said it all year. I think that offense is just absurd to me. But Ohio State also hasn't played very many dynamic offenses to this point either. No, no, they haven't. I mean, you look at just some of the other top teams against the run, it's Clemson, Alabama are at 2.7 yards per carry. Tennessee, Ohio State, Miami, and Cincinnati are all at three yards per carry. And those are the only teams in the country that are under three yards per carry. So, again, I, I don't think a lot of teams are built to stop the run, but they Michigan will be challenged here coming up with Illinois and Ohio State in back-to-back weeks. So yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But I they're impressive. They're better than I thought they were. Yeah, I mean, the quarterback makes plays with his feet and has made some pretty good decisions with his arm. I mean, they're no, they're, they're – Michigan's really good. I just don't think they're as good as Ohio State. And I think it's a it's a one bid league for lack of a better term. And then locally, only one game last week. Kentucky bounces back. It's a big win over Mississippi State, twenty seven to seventeen. Chris Rodriguez was insane in this game. Skinny, one hundred ninety six yards, two touchdowns, average six and a half per carry. He surpassed three thousand yards for his career now. Levis left the game with a left shoulder injury in the third quarter. Came back in and finished the game in this one. He was in a sling afterwards. The bye week coming out a great time for him. You got to yes. get him healthy. We've <clears> already <throat> seen this team is not nearly the same without him. Uh, but the defense also bounced back in a big way. Held the air raid offense just 207 yards through the air in this one, Skinny. I thought I, I was very worried after that South Carolina game that even though Will Levis was out, it just felt an awful lot like the wheels might be falling off for this Kentucky team, and they weren't as good as we thought. This was a nice bounce back performance to see them play well. Yeah, especially the defense. Um, you know, one of the touchdowns Miss, uh, Mississippi State scored was a one of the. I've never seen a wide receiver screen intercepted with a guy on the dead run like that before. One of them was a pick six that Will Levis threw on a wide receiver screen. But other than that, the defense was great. I mean, the defense, other than the first couple of drives at, at Old Miss against their dynamic offense, I thought was really good. You know, South Carolina, the second half was disappointing, but, you know, you handed them seven points with the fumble on the first possession of the game. I think the lesson that, that hopefully is learned, and I, and I know it sounds simplistic, if Chris Rodriguez is back in 100% shape and it sure looks like he is, he better get 30 touches a game in the run game. I, I just just keep feeding the man. That's got to be the strategy. He's crazy good. And then that sets up the play action stuff for Levis to hit some stuff down the field. Takes a little burden off of him and maybe not taking as many shots either. Yeah, well, and... I mean, there's been so much pressure on him this year. That offensive line is just not very good. And I mean, it's amazing Chris Rodriguez is running as well as he is behind that offensive line, although it seems like they're better in the run game than they are protecting against the pass rush. So uh, that's something. But yeah, I mean, if you can take, like you said, some of the pressure and some of those hits off of Will Levis a little bit throughout the game, that might 
be nice considering he's banged up at this point. I think the Tennessee game will be a great game. I think you'll see Kentucky show up in that game in a big way, especially the defense. I'd like to think that, but man, that, that Tennessee performance this past weekend was impressive. That's uh, hard to imagine Kentucky matching up with that, quite honestly. That's it's a fair point. Anything else from the college football week that was? Um, I, I, I can give a bad beat out if I could. I had a 14 money line parlay with, with Illinois, easy winner. With Tennessee, not easy winner, but a, but a winner. With Kentucky on the money line because they were an underdog. And on the money line, USC. Oh, Utah, not not what everyone expected them to be before the season, but USC not as great as everyone's saying they are right well, now. Well, they're still defensively. They're not. They're, they're not. They're, they they struggle. I mean, well, they just don't. Yeah, they just don't play defense. That's actually what they do. It's not that they struggle. They just don't care. Yeah, I mean, they, they want typi- to typical. Yeah, and I thought they had. I mean, you came down to they had a seven point lead with under five minutes to go. You need one stop. You couldn't get the stop on the drive, and then you couldn't get the stop on the two point conversion. And then I went to bed crying. Nah, I didn't go to bed crying, but it was it was disappointing. That would have been a good. I, I can't. I won't tell people what that would, would have gotten back, but it was a, it was a nice chunk of change for a very small bet, for lack of a better term. All right, let's switch gears to college basketball. And skinny, we're doing it. We're starting with NKU. The Norris were tied with Purdue Fort Wayne atop their Heisen League preseason poll voted on by the media. Both programs earned 15 first place votes, 394 points overall. Marquez Warwick named preseason All League first team while Trayvon Faulkner and Sam Vinson joined him as all-league second-team selections. NKU get a lot of respect from the media members around the conference, Kenny. Okay, that, that part doesn't shock me. I didn't know Fort Wayne was supposed to be that good. Well, they tied for the the league last year, the regular season championship for the state last year. I just don't think of Fort Wayne. I don't know why. I just I think of Wright State and Oakland for whatever reason. I get that. They they went on a big run last year, won like how eight or ten games in a row, did Fort Wayne, and that's that's kind of how they ended up there. I they returned pretty much everything back, including their stud Jared Godfrey from last year's team. He's got he was some a first team selection, right? Pro prospects. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a good chance he could be the the player of the year in the conference. He's he's a legit scorer, big time player. Oakland to me probably has the most talent. They brought in Rocket Watts, the the high major transfer. They always seem to have the most talent. The issue is the last however many years now, they've just faded down the stretch. It seems like they've got guys with too much baggage and they don't really seem to care about the team. And by the end of the year, they're kind of doing their own thing and fighting with each other and losing a lot of games down the stretch. So it's hard to pick them to to win the conference now. And Wright State, and quite honestly, they lost a lot. They're they're still Wright State. And they yeah, is that have- repu- I was just saying they, they got voted third. Is that reputation alone? I think a lot of it, now granted, they're still going to be one of the better teams in the league, clearly, but in terms of talent, you'd probably have them closer to like fourth or fifth. Uh, but I I mean, if I'm picking the league, I would have them second or third for sure, just because uh, they're there every year. All right, so six different teams got first place votes, including the ones we've mentioned already and Youngstown and Detroit Mercy, which got two. And then there's a drop-off after, is that is that where this league is? Is it like six teams and then the drop-off? Yeah. My other question is, will IUPUI have more than six players dressed for games this year? They'll have more than six players. I don't know that you'll notice that much of a difference between okay. what they're dressing right. this year and what they were doing with six players last year. That is a, a really bad program in a really bad spot. Green Bay is the same way. Uh, that roster is going to be awful from everything I can tell. But yeah, the drop-off is significant from those top, I'd say six. It's probably like Detroit 
is the last team that would have them sixth, I believe. And then after that, the the drop off is huge. And honestly, even Detroit, it's like you look at that roster. They lost some guys from last year. It's not well, they great, gotta, but they, they bring back Antoine they, Davis. They, yeah, they got a dude. I mean, yeah, that, that's... yeah. I mean, he, they they've got the player of the year in the conference more than likely. So, um, yeah, I mean, they'll they'll be they're a threat. They're always scary. I don't think they have much of a chance to win it. Uh, and then after that, it, it is it is brutal at the bottom of the conference. So I, I think you know those top four or five will all be pretty competitive, and then you'll have Detroit, which will scare some people, and then they'll beat up on. Milwaukee and Green Bay and IUPUI. Right. And I'm missing one more. There's one Robert more. Morrison. Robert yeah, Morris. Robert Morris isn't very good either. Although they might be closer to, to Detroit than than the, the group of dregs that we're talking about. Also, I, I mean and that like, schedule and that schedule is just the goofy that's the goofiest schedule. We talked about that when it came out. And then you NKU plays the goofiest league schedule in the history of league schedules. You've never seen <laughs> anything like it. It was what was it? Six of the last seven? Or it's more than that, isn't it? No, it's more than that. It's eight of the last nine, or eight something. of the last nine. Yeah, is it, on the road. I mean, just crazy. They don't play any home games in February, basically. Oh, I will say too, Marquez Warwick being preseason All League first team, very deserved. But when you look at this roster and, and why NKU should be picked at the top, Trayvon Faulkner would probably be a first teamer if he played for most other teams in this conference because he'd be the focal point. And everyone would think he's going to average about twenty points a game this year. Yeah, I mean, but they've got such a great three-headed monster of perfect Horizon League level players, and and, and those right. two you mentioned, and Sam Vincent. Well, well, Sam Vincent could be the player of the year too. Right. I mean, I right. think he's as as capable as Marquez Warwick is in terms of vying for player of the year or, or a first team spot. And Trayvon Faulkner is kind of the the third fiddle now on this in this group. But like I said, he'd be a first teamer if he played for most of the other teams in the conference. So I mean, you've got three guys that are legit first teamers in this conference right. in my book. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, let's switch over to uh, the Big E side of things. Again, we talked about the American Athletic Conference last week. UC was picked third. That's why we're not we're not mentioning them this week. Uh, but this everybody, week you had yeah, everybody else had their media days. Big Ten, SEC, Horizon did their picks, and obviously the the, the Big East uh, yesterday or two days ago. Yep, exactly. So that that's why we're talking about all them now. Big East media day was held on Tuesday in New York. Xavier picked second in the preseason coaches poll, receiving two first place votes. Creighton was first, which was expected. Villanova third. A lot of people shocked that Villanova was picked behind Xavier and UConn fourth, Providence fifth. Jack Nungy, Colby Jones were both named the preseason All Big East first team. Skinny, what do you make of Xavier's second place preseason ranking? Well, it's interesting because in the AP poll, Villanova is ranked and Xavier isn't. Now, again, these are just people's votes, right? It's their opinion of what they think it's going to be. So that doesn't mean the all end all, but I found that interesting. And and interestingly, in the Big East, you have the coaches vote for the preseason poll, not media members, which most other conferences is media members. Yep, no, correct. And the AP is a media media vote. So the media thinks Nova's better than Xavier and the coaches think Xavier's better. I I think – I mean, this is a legitimate team. It's just a matter of the last couple of years, the, the questionable tanks down the stretch. And then last year's team, you bring a chunk back from a very good team that went on to win the NIT. And you you believe, I think, if you're the rest of the league, no offense to Travis Steele, but you probably believe in Sean Miller as a coach a lot more than Travis Steele. He's got, he's got more skins on the wall than Travis does. So you think, okay, a lot of talent back, pretty good roster. Last guy couldn't quite get him over the hump. This guy's done that with two different programs. I think some of that's the Sean Miller factor, to be honest with you. I think a lot of it is the Sean Miller factor. And I think it's probably equal parts respect that they really believe he's going to make a big difference and Xavier is going to be better. And I also think there's probably a little bit of uh, 
all right, screw you, buddy. You're you're here. We we know what's going on with you recently. Like, let's go ahead and put the pressure on right away. Put the bullseye on your back. Exactly. Let's like two people picking him to win the league already. Them being picked a little high is feels to me a bit like people are wanting to put some pressure on on Sean and Xavier right away. Now, to the the coach's credit, they also picked Jack Nunji and Colby Jones both to the first team. Right. So right. at least I they, they clearly think Xavier has the talent as well. And I do. I think Jack Nunji and Colby Jones are both good players. The The question I have is, does Xavier have the go-to player yet? Is Colby Jones going to be the same guy for an entire season that he was in the NIT last year? Because that's that Colby cool. Jones is a star. That's a first-teamer. But through most of his career, and quite honestly, through some of the preseason practices that we've seen already, I don't know that he's assertive enough to be that guy all the time. No, I, I, he was great. And I think, I think you've seen stretches of him, him being great. And maybe that was a light bulb moment, right? Maybe that was, I am the dude and I'm going to, I'm going to now, now I, I know I can be the dude. Yeah. I think that's what everyone's hoping. And that's what probably most outsiders are expecting. I think that's what this coaching staff is going to try to get out of him. I just don't know if that's who he is. I mean, I've just seen stretches in this preseason even where they go live and they're playing up and down, essentially, you know, a script inner squad scrimmage. And he should be the best player on the floor. And you would think he's getting touches all the time, but there's possessions or there's stretches where he'll go five, six possessions, seven possessions, maybe longer without really doing anything without yeah, can't taking happen. a shot. And it's just that, like that, that can't happen. Now that, that could be also practice too of letting other guys get involved. But sure. I think if you're going to be the alpha, be the alpha in practice too. Right. I mean, I would like to see him take over more and I would like to see him demand the ball more. I mean, I wouldn't want, Adam Kunkel and Jerome Hunter to get up multiple shots in a stretch before I've even done anything. Yeah, that, you, that, you have to that, demand you know that the leads ball. to that leads to ten nothing runs by Villanova at home, and you lose a game you shouldn't lose. Yeah, and <clears throat> Sean Miller is going to change how a lot of this works. Yes. You know, guys aren't going to be hoisting up bad shots anymore. But I think the harder part, maybe it, you know, disciplining some of the other players isn't going to be as hard. I think as getting Colby Jones to be that guy every night and. That's what I'm most interested with in terms of this prediction is, is Colby Jones really going to be a, I think he'll be a first teamer like more than likely, but will he be that go-to guy that Xavier needs him to be on a consistent basis? So uh, I think Jack and, and Colby are both very good players that anyone would love to have and would start. I just don't know that either one of them makes you who you need to be if they're your best player. If that makes any sense, I just don't know that they're go-to guys by nature. Yeah, before we move to the SEC, I, I, what's the latest on Zach Freebase? I mean, Freemantle. He is doing well for the most part. That everything I can see. I mean, he's been very active in practice. Uh, I think you know he just realizes that he's not going to be able to take time off and quit playing for stretches and quit being dis- a disciplined player for stretches the way he has at times in the past. That Sean Miller just isn't going to put up with that. I think you've already seen that with the suspension at the beginning of the year, regardless of what it was for. I think more than anything, it was sending a message of you're not going to do this stuff anymore. You're, you're, you're going to be held accountable no, good. all the time. And if not, then we will just play without you. And so I think that's kind of what they're dealing with right now, but I think he's responded well to that. Old boy's got a lot of offensive ability, man. That's going to come in handy at some point. Yeah, the question, of course, is uh, defensively when you've oh, yeah, got yeah. Adam Kunkel, Sule Boom, and Zach Freeman all in your starting lineup, potentially. It raises some concerns about your defense, too. And and Sean Miller talked a lot about that on Big East Media, that he feels like he needs to get the defense better. And that's fair. Yeah. You look at where they were last year in terms of efficiency rankings, not good defensively as much as we talk about their lack of shooting. No, 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 no question. 
All right, over to the SEC where Kentucky was picked as the preseason favorite by media members. The Wildcats were followed by Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, and Alabama in that order. UK was also ranked fourth in the preseason AP poll, which was released this week. A few other regional teams in the top 25 for the AP poll. Indiana came in at 13, Dayton at 24. No other local teams were in there. But Skinny, what do you think of Kentucky being picked first in the SEC and ranked fourth overall in the country? Number one, you know, if they win the SEC championship, that will be the 50th regular season championship for them. That's that's just Crazy. to say it out loud is insane. And by the way, they did win it in 2020. It kind of, feel, you know, we start getting right. on this right. anti-Kentucky narrative. It feels like right. they haven't won it in forever, despite the fact that they're always picked to win it. Uh, they did win it just a couple of years ago, so yeah, it hasn't no. been that long. No, you're right. But I mean, the 50 is just insane. You know, I, I, I will say, I don't want to say they're the chic not even dark horse is the right word because they're ranked fourth in the country. They're kind of that chic national championship pick from a lot of people. And I, and I can, I can see why, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing, but you talk about pressure now going into a postseason for Cal, right? Oh, my well, lands. Do you think he feels that? I do. I do. I think so too. I think he feels it more hey, now just, than he ever sh- has though. That's human nature. I mean, I don't know if you remember, do you remember the, um, Oh, they did a sec behind the scenes with him. A couple of years ago, remember the game where, where Humphreys got the technical foul at Texas A&M yes. and they lost? So they had kind of a behind the scenes from that. And it, it had a moment with Cal where he was waiting on somebody, one of his former, might have been Marcus Cam- I think it was a Marcus Camby thing. And and uh, Marcus had come to watch them and, and it was kind of a nice embrace with him and Cal and, and all that. And Cal slumps in a chair and goes, I don't know how much longer I can do this. This is just wearing me out. And, and I think it was kind of in the moment of that loss, the way they lost. But I think it was also... It is exhausting. It is exhausting with all the pressure. And you can say, and I, I'll be the first, you're cashing the check for a reason, my brother. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it's not exhausting and there isn't pressure on you because there is. Well, he got off to such a good start at Kentucky. And I think there's a point where he was so confident and felt invisible that I don't think the the Kentucky pressure mattered to him in terms of the fan base and all the, the constant noise about underachieving or uh, championship or bust type attitude there. I think that's changed in recent years and and part of it might be getting older. Bigger part of it's probably being farther removed from the success now. And, and that noise is now getting louder and the criticism feels more warranted now than it ever has before, I think. So maybe that's why it does seem to be bothering more, but I feel like we've seen him make, and maybe this is part of just getting older and more out of touch too, is it feels like he's making more PR missteps too, and saying some things that just don't come off the right way and, and don't seem to be what he's, trying to actually accomplish when he's making those comments. So I, I think it's some things have changed there for Cal's thing. I don't know how much of it is him feeling the pressure, how much of it is just getting older and uh, dealing with things differently. But uh, this is going to be an interesting year for Kentucky because if they flop again this year and look, some people get annoyed that they're getting ranked this high every year and, and picked to win the conference. But one, they don't typically have the player of the year returning like they do right, this year. Right. And two, what other choice do you have when you see all the talent they bring in? It's not like these dudes can't play at all. That's right. It's a struggle to bring them all together to win in the NCAA tournament year after year. I get that. They they continue to flop, and at some point, maybe you have to factor that in. But from a rankings perspective, when you start looking at these other teams' rosters, and then you look at Kentucky's, it's hard not to have them right there in the top five or so in the nation. It just That's the reality of the situation. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just – I think – that this is going to be a very interesting year. For for some reason, they were to flop again this year, and let's say don't make it past the second round. 
it'll be interesting to see what the Kentucky sentiment is like. Well, going especially, into, yeah, especially if they, yeah, sorry, Rick, especially if they have the year that you think they're going to have in the regular season, which is probably going to lend itself to being a high seed. Right. Well, and if they don't get to that point, then it's even worse, right? Well, yeah, I mean, right. Yes. If right, they right. get the high seed and they flop, it's one thing. If you don't even get the high seed this year, it's even more concerning. Right. Anything else on the Kentucky side of things? No, I, I mean, I think the SEC has proven to be a pretty deep league the last few years, and it should be a, a, you know, I think Kentucky is a clear-cut favorite, but, you know, Tennessee's got dudes back. Arkansas is still really good. Bama's going to be, I mean. Well, you've uh, got Auburn, coaches in this conference now. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that, that that's why the, the conference is so deep right now. Yeah, I mean, they, these are legit coaches that you're having to factor in every year. You know, you're going up against guys like Pearl and Musselman. It's, it's not easy. No, agreed. All right, then uh, last Topic of discussion here. Ohio defeated Cincinnati 79-72 in a secret scrimmage on Sunday, according to Twitter reports. Cincinnati was led by David Julius and John Newman, each with 12 points. It is what it is to a certain extent. You lose by seven to Ohio in a scrimmage. Uh, The score is not supposed to get out. You don't know how lineups went and everything like that. I know our buddy Chad Brendel was, was very upset about this being... Uh, publicized, but how much does a scrimmage score matter to you, Skinny? Absolutely nothing, and I'll give you my own self as an example. I scrimmaged a team. We used to scrimmage not every year, it felt like, but but most years we would scrimmage when we could get it worked out for our schedules, and we would both play the same way. We, we'd play man for a little bit. We'd, we'd play full court press for a little bit just to work on both things. We'd play some zone, and so in the in the zone period I played against this this team they outscored us like 26 to 4 well you know me I'm not a zone guy and they just carved us up and they end up probably winning the scrimmage by 20 some odd points we end up beat them in the regular season i mean it's, so it is what i mean it's that's what scrimmages are for you're you're doing hopefully different things and trying to win the game yeah the secret scrimmage thing is always goofy just because of the circumstance around it and everyone acting like it's supposed to be a secret but there is a reason that the schools a lot of times don't want people to watch this and don't want it reported on because and they see because the, they see the end result and they panic. Yeah, and it, and it is for the the reasons you're talking about is you want a, a chance to actually go out and put out lineups that you know aren't going to work because you're trying to figure out can this guy play that position because we might need that flexibility in another lineup or can this guy play at all? Do we have something in this extra guy? So you're not playing situations. You're not trying to win the game necessarily. Although as I I've always said this on the Xavier side of things, if you show up to these things, you're trying to win, your players are competing. And that's evidence to me by the fact that if Xavier wins a secret scrimmage in a given year, Seems like I can always find someone to, to get me that information in the box score. If they lose like they did last year against <laughs> Vanderbilt, no one seems to want to help yeah. me with it. So, I mean, you, yeah, you can say it doesn't matter who wins or loses, which is true, and I agree with that, but it is interesting that they all seem to get upset when they do lose. So uh, I think they are trying to win. They are trying to compete when these things happen. So it's not like a, a thing where Cincinnati wasn't trying and Ohio was, but how they handled their lineups, what type of situations they were playing – could have been very different. So it doesn't matter a lot to me. I will say if it makes you see fans feel better, Xavier lost to Vanderbilt last year in a secret scrimmage. So you could have as good of a year as Xavier did last year when the NIT. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Xavier will play Vanderbilt again in a secret scrimmage next Sunday. That's going to be at NKU, actually. They're going to play off site there. Oh, cool. And NKU will host Tiffin on Monday for an exhibition that fans can actually come to. It's not a secret scrimmage. And Kentucky will host Missouri Western State next Sunday. So that's an exhibition as well. You can actually go watch. So there you go. That is our college sports segment. 
a lot of college to get to. It's the best time of the year, Skinny. We've still got great NFL football ahead of us, and we're in the thick of it there. But college football is awesome right now. It's getting ramped up, and college basketball just getting ready to start. Love this time of year. Yeah, I mean, November 7th is the official start week for, for college basketball, and we still have uh, another – eight or nine weeks of NFL at that point, And we still have uh, obviously the home stretch of college football and bowl games. So yeah, it, it kicks off a, a busy time for sure. All right, let's get into our betting segment. I went two and two in our pick last week. You went four and oh, so you took a two game lead on me here. 26, 23 and one is where I'm at. You're at 28, 21 and one. Now I've got a weird best bet too. When we get to it for the week. It's, it's probably the weirdest I've done yet. All right, I love to hear that. Uh, Kentucky on a bye week, which is probably good for me because that South Carolina game ruined me, like I talked about. <laughs> I, I wasn't able to touch their game this week. They're 5-2 and two against the spread. I was rolling with them. They've been doing good for me. And then they they go Ole Miss, South Carolina losses back-to-back, and I just couldn't figure out what to do with them. So I'm glad they're off the board this week. I can reset my mind with them. Uh, last week was awful for me. I got crushed. It wasn't just the Alabama game that I tripled or quadrupled down on. We also talked about my San Jose State best bet of the Ooh. week last week, which crashed and Ooh. burned. Ooh, I don't cool. know that Hawaii's an automatic fade anymore. They're seemingly getting it together a little bit. They covered the spread against Nevada last week, so that hurt me. So I got to rethink some things. It wasn't a good week for me at all. I've got to also uh, replenish my bankroll there a little bit because that did not go well. Uh, we'll start Saturday at noon. UC at SMU, Bearcats are a three-point favorite. The total is 61 and a half. People are wondering why this line is so small, right? I don't get it. I, I, it? I kind of am too. I'm, I'm kind of wondering the same thing. Why is it, and, and I guess if you're a UC fan, should you be worried because this line is so small? See, I think UC, and we've seen it before, they fiddled fart around inside the league when they are multiple point favorites. I don't think they fiddle fart around here. I think they go off their bye week, get the job done, um, roll up some points. I'm going to go UC. 40, Clemson 24. So UC in the over for me. You see 40. Did you say Clemson? Yeah, I did say Clemson. SMU, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had Clemson was, on my mind. That was that was wild. Yeah. Uh UC 40, SMU 24. So you got at 64. UC in the over there. I'm with you on the 24. I like that number as well. I want UC 31, SMU 24. And if I'm being honest, I think the only reason I put the score or the the spread that low on my side and it's just because i don't understand why it's only a three-point spread well i mean if you look at their schedule i mean the 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 wins aren't overly impressive north texas lamar navy but they lost by seven at maryland they lost by eight to really good tcu team and then they did get boat raced at ucf 41 19 so they haven't exactly lost a chopped liver either well yeah that's true but i mean it played well in two of those games i mean they're also one and five against the spread note yeah you know, it's just like, I, I, I don't yeah, I, know. I, I don't really, I don't really understand this spread. It worries me. That being said, I love UC. I mean, this is a, a feels like a great spot at minus three. I just, I, you know, I'm at 31, 24. And the only reason I wasn't around where you were at like 40, 42 or 45 was because for some reason that minus three keeps scaring me. I'm like, why the hell does Vegas think it's going to be so close? So anyway, I'm on UC in the under you're on UC in the over Saturday at also at noon, we've got Iowa. At Ohio State, the Buckeyes are a 29-point favorite. The total is 49 in that game. This would be a best bet if I if I didn't have another one that I want to throw off the board at, at you. I, th- Iowa can't move the ball. Ohio State, it doesn't matter who they're playing. I do think Iowa's defense is good, but I don't think it's good enough to keep Ohio State under 40. And the fact Same. that Ohio State, I think, is going to get more possessions than normal because they're going to force 
Iowa into three and outs because they're just so tragically bad on offense. I'll go Ohio State 45 to seven. So Actually, that no, is... I'm going to go Ohio State 45 to five. Iowa will kick a field goal and they always seem to get a safety somewhere in there. So 45 to five. So that is OSU and still the over. You're uh, just over that 49 yep. number there. Yep. And I mean, I mean, again, at 49, that was going to be my question for you. Can Ohio State get to 40 against this Iowa team? And I think they can. In fact, I think that the real question is, can Iowa hold Ohio State under 40? And no, they probably can't, which means at 49, it's basically, do you think Iowa can score a touchdown or not? Right, right. And if they can, if the answer is yes, you think Iowa can get, or in your case, even just five points, that number is going to hit the over. I I understand Iowa's Iowa and their scores are what they are typically, but at 49, any game that Ohio State plays in feels like you have to play that over. And they are, they are so good. I mean, listen to the point, though. They're 3-3, three and three, and here's what they've given up points-wise in games. 3, 10, 0, 10, 27 to a really good Michigan offense, and 9. And in the game in which they scored or gave up the 10, in the game in which they gave up the 9, they still went managed to lose. That's how bad they are on offense. They're horrifyingly bad. And Ohio State, like I said, you're going to end up giving them more possessions. Not not a recipe for success against the Buckeyes. No. I'm no. going 42 to 10, Ohio State in the over. All right, Sunday at 1 o'clock, we've got Falcons at the Bengals. Bengals are a six-point favorite. The total is 47 and a half. Yeah, I, I, the Bengals are going to win this game, but I, I, something tells me Atlanta's played everybody so close. I mean, their losses are a one-pointer to the Saints, a four-pointer to the Rams, a six-pointer to Tampa, in which Tampa got the gift roughing the passer on Grady Jarrett. This team just manages to hang around, and, and I think they'll hang around this game because they do run the ball well. They'll shorten the game a little bit. I think the Bengals pull out the win, but it's not going to be as comfortable as you'd like. I'll go Bengals 26-21. 26-21. So that's Falcons covering that six-point spread, and you're on the under by half a point. Yep. All right, I'm going to go opposite of you, so we're going to get some separation here. I like the Bengals 28-21. Not all that different in score, but it means all the difference in the world in terms of what side you're on. Bengals and the over for me while you're on Falcons and the under. Desmond Ritter comes in and gets the late backdoor cover touchdown pass and the crowd goes wild for the local guy. Oh, that'd be cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I would if I bet on it, actually, then then I would mind it. But that that would be cool for him. Yes. All right, Skinny, give it to me. What is your best bet of the week? I don't know why this jumps off the board at me, but it just does. The Washington Commanders getting five at home to Green Bay. I think they're having, I think the Taylor Heineke is actually a quarterback upgrade over Carson Wentz. Something about this Green Bay team feels very dysfunctional at the moment. Um, And for them to be favored by almost a touchdown on the road just doesn't feel right to me. I, I mean, I don't necessarily love your pick, but I love your reasoning for going about it. And the fact that you decided your best bet this week was going to be the Washington Commanders. I know that, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem logical to me either. But when I you think- said when you said I've got a good one this week, I could have guessed a hundred times and not once would I have guessed the Washington Commanders were going to be included in this bet. Yeah, I, I, I just that five point number just seems so big for a team that's dysfunctional, and they even their wins of late. I mean, they won in overtime at home over Bailey Zappi in the very first game he ever played, and they they held on to beat Tampa, which is not the best of teams at the moment by two. They even if Green Bay wins, it feels like at best they they kick a field goal at the gun to win it, even if they win. Fair enough. I mean, I. <laughs> I'm not writing that with you, but uh, I'm also not going to fade you like I did last week either because that didn't go well for me either. Do you have one? Well, here's the thing. 
I'm just going to make it easy. I know this isn't an extra game, but I'm going to say UC minus three is my favorite bet. Oh, I thought you were going to go Ohio State. Ohio State feels easy to me. I like that one too. I'm I'm very homerish this week. I like both Ohio State and UC, but that UC minus three, I think, is the game I'm that I'm going to hammer with a couple of units here. So I need to get back on track. I'm not going to get do anything too crazy. I'm just going to stick with UC minus I like three. It. Good deal. All right, let's get in some ask any anything here. We'll start with piggybacking off our college basketball conversation. Who are the dark horse college basketball teams that could win it all in the NCAA tournament? I guess I'd have to have what define dark, how, how dark of a dark horse. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I don't even know if we have the actual favorites decided. I'll, yet, I'll so. tell you a team that, that they were actually picked to win their conference and we really didn't talk about it, which is fine. So I'll, I'll bring it up here. And I don't, think they're dark horsey, but I don't think they would pop be one of the first eight, nine, or ten teams that would pop into your mind. Indiana's got a lot of dudes back, and they added a couple really good freshmen. I mean, they've got a, a legit player of the year candidate in Trace Jackson Davis. I just, I don't know if they have the offensive firepower. To I, I think Mike Woodson can coach defense. I, I thought they made some strides there last year. I don't know about them on the offensive side. I'm still not quite sold on Mike Davis. So, so they're picked to win the Big Ten, and, I, and I'm trying to call them a dark horse, and you're, you're even fading what probably isn't even a dark horse on me. Yeah, I, I, my, I just called Mike Davis, by the way. Mike Woodson is what I meant. No, I you said know. Mike Woodson. I think you said Mike okay. Woodson. All right. Um, I knew but, what you meant if you didn't. Yeah, I, I just – I don't know. I'm not trusting him like that. I, I definitely wouldn't have them in the dark horse candidate to win the NCAA tournament, I don't think. Um, I'm still worried about if they can actually hold up their end of the bargain in the Big Ten. Here's one for you. And again, I guess you got to define dark horse. TCU's got a nice roster back. And I like Jamie Dixon, although there's also NCAA tournament Jamie Dixon that doesn't usually show up. That's another one where Jamie Dixon's tough for me to ride in, in the NCAA tournament. I this, this is not a dark horse because they're picked high, but I think Houston has yeah. a very good chance to win it all. I, I think at some point this year, it'll probably come earlier rather than let, they might be the number one ranked team in the country at some point. Honestly, they would be my number one going into the year. I mean, North Carolina is, is a fine pick too. I have no issue with that, but I think I would probably go Houston, then North Carolina. If I was putting out my, my AP ballot right now, I'm, I'm going to stick with my Indiana as a dark horse. I may actually make a money line play. I may make a, a, a preseason play on them just because well, I talked myself into it. Well, there you go. Gave you a, an idea there for a futures play. Yes. This is from our guy, Jed. He says, uh, is there a more ranky dink BS nuance about any MLB stadium that's more effing ridiculous than the Yankees right field porch? I love the right field porch. What's wrong with it? It's historic. It's iconic. Apparently it's ranky dink BS nuance. Well, probably because Giancarlo Stanton hit a three run home run that way against Anthony Savale, who looked like he was scared to pitch in a little league game. I felt bad for the guy. I mean, my goodness. Our boy was, Jed was all he worked was up. He was mad about Costas. He was mad about right field. I feel like he just had a rough series there with his guardians. Well, it, it was a very disappointing end. If you're a Cleveland fan, which we both know Jed is. So that was a tough one. And, and I blame I, the rain skinny. I blame the rain. It, it, is there anything more rinky dink than Yankee stadium not being domed? How about that? Also, that they had to uh, postpone a game for exactly like one hundredth of an inch of rain, I think it was. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. Yeah. Uh, if Skinny had the money to purchase and own outright one of the local minor league teams in the area, would he pick the Yalls, the Cyclones, or a team from the past? And what would be the biggest investment for the team? Oh, I'd bring back the Rockers. I'd bring back in arena football. I loved arena football. 
I would do the Jungle Cats. Oh man, the, the Rockers actually had it going, man. They 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 had a in, when were the, when was the Rockers? Was that early nineties? Way back, okay. Early yeah. 90s. That was Arch Schleister as the quarterback. That's how we struck up a friendship. I was nice. covering the team, and he was the quarterback of the team. Well, I'm surprised that didn't work out. Yeah, that um, they actually they they drew for the first couple of years, but they they had some management issues, which didn't work. I, I still thought at that level when the Arena League was actually a, a legit thing, it really kind of isn't anymore. But for a while there, it was a legit thing. Um, I thought that franchise would, would succeed big time, but it lasted a couple of years and went by the wayside. Remember the Cincinnati Commandos? I, I, Jim Breach and I were the broadcast team for the Cincinnati Commandos. Were you I was really? Play by play. He was the color. Yes. What would you yes, broadcast first, on radio? Uh, yeah, 10 50 a.m. I bet that had a huge li- huge listenership. No offense. I don't think it. I don't think it did. But the, but the, but the check never bounced. That's all that I ever, ever hey, say in this, this world. I will say about. their their first game was interesting because they 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 couldn't they they tried like two or three different guys to shotgun snap. They finally brought out a guy. And I can't think of his name now. I think he's the head coach at Williamsburg High School, Andy. And I'm drawing a blank on his name. I think he's at Williamsburg High School. Anyway, he was listed as a fullback, but he. He could apparently shotgun snap, so he became the center as the shotgun snapper for their opener. That that was a treat, and he did uh, fine. Him or Mitchell just, Wilcox, Nick Ayers, is that the name of the kid? No, uh, Nick used to be at West Claremont. Um, gosh, I can't think where this guy is at. He's coaching somewhere locally now. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. It's Andy something or other. Oh well. All right, shout out to Andy something or other. The sorry, Andy. Emergency long snapper. But he did he did a great job in the shotgun snap that day, wearing number forty five, I believe, at center. That was a little odd. <laughs> Who did, who did you take him or Mitchell Wilcox in a long snapper? Um, I think I'd take him. Nice. Uh, this is an interesting question. Has the conversation of how sports betting will be covered started in WKRC offices yet a Friday weekend betting segment, or will it just be post on the website? If even that, that's a great question. I, I I've kind of floated the idea out there and haven't gotten a response to it yet. I I'd, I'd love to see us put together a, honestly, a show. I would love to see that as well. Um, we did for the college football playoff last year. We did yes. a small segment yes, on a, on the UC preview show that you and I were a part of, which had to do with some betting. And, and the thing is, we've got so many teams that you can call local, right? I mean, you you got Ohio State, you got Kentucky. When you get the basketball season, you got obviously the spine of it. I mean, you could spine it out to Louisville if you so desired. I mean, wherever you want to go into Indiana with with teams nowadays. You know, it used to be you just talk only about sides and totals now player props are such a big thing you can you can put together a half hour show doing this yeah easily uh also we've we've done obviously this podcast but there's also throughout the the week there'll be you know if there's a a futures story involving joe burrow for the mvp race or des ritter last year for the heisman or something like that we put stories like that up on the website yeah I, I i find them actually to have some news value to them to be honest with you yeah i think they do fine in terms of uh sports stories but I guess my question would be like, I don't know if it'll ever be more than that. Like, do you think there's ever a, yeah, a more I, focused type of attack there in terms of the sports? Band? It seems to me like it's more of a of a thing where if there's there's local interest, it'll get mentioned. Well, last passing, thing, but I don't think it's going to be like a, a focal point. Uh, last I checked, our, our company, which is Sinclair Broadcasting, does own the Bally's sports networks, and they seem to be crying out for sports programming of some kind. Oh, and specifically gaming. Yes, correct. That's, that's what they correct. do. So, yeah, yes, I mean, that, it would seem like there is some potential for growth there. I'm I'm certainly interested in it. I, I, if they're if the uh, overlords at Bally's are listening, I'm, I'm available. Uh, uh, I don't think I've, got multiple, I, I've talked to Tony Pike, our friend at ESPN 1530 and Mo Egger about something along these lines. I, 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 I 
I don't see why it couldn't be done. I just don't. Yeah, great question. But yeah, I don't I don't know that from my perspective, I will say this. It's not like it's a taboo thing at Channel 12 or anything like that. I know it used to be a weird thing where media members tried to avoid it, which, by the way, I cannot stand broadcasters right now who do the thing where it's like, let's say it's a, a three score game. And if the team who's down, they get the ball back at the end of the game. And if they score on their possession, they're going to cover the spread, but they're still going to clearly lose the game by two touchdowns. Right. Yes. Yes. I absolutely despise when broadcasters are, are doing this thing now where they'll be like, oh, this possession could mean more to some people than others. <laughs> well, just it, I will say, you have well, spreads listed on the freaking ticker correct. at the bottom of the screen. That's you correct. have shows on all of your networks talking about gambling spreads before they get all this stuff. It is main. It's legal in most states. It is a mainstream thing. Why are you acting like we're children that can't hear that people might have bet on this game now. Well, because Al Michaels made it such the cool thing to do, right? When it was kind of taboo. I mean, he did it always so cleverly that that everybody out there was like, wink, wink. That's really well done, dude. So now everybody feels like they got to do it that way. Oh, it's just, it drives me crazy. You hear it three times a week if you watch college football regularly. I mean, three different broadcasters doing it. It's like, dude, just mention what the spread is for all the listeners so we can all be in on it. Instead of the five people who bet on this random Mountain West game, Tell us what the freaking spread was. If it's 10, it makes it more interesting on that final possession. Get everyone in on it. Make it part of the broadcast. I know you had Appy State minus the points last night. I did not. No. Thankfully. I I didn't even know. I saw this morning you won. I did not either. Is Skinny going to share his selfies from Blank on social media or not? Skinny, did you make it to Blank? Um, So... I'm sitting here on Saturday morning, just kind of laying in bed and getting ready to, I had to write my Bengals preview and I'm just kind of gathering my thoughts, just laying here. And my wife is listening to our friend, Bob Herzog on his Facebook page, just gushing about blank. And she had gone Thursday night or Friday or whatever. And they went, she went again with my daughter and her husband on Sunday. She's wise enough not to invite me. Cause I am not in the least ever going to go to something like I, I, I actually made fun of her. She was leaving. Um, cause it was after the Bengals game. I had written my story. I was getting ready to get, go, go do the TV segment for the sports authority. And it was dark back in the bedroom before she left. I said, so I turned my, not my light on by my nightstand. I go, here's blink. That's enough blink for me. I know. I, no, thank you for that question. The answer is no. <laughs> it must be a treat to live with. I just, I, I don't, you gotta, what's the point of it? Blinking lights glow in the dark. Take your selfie skinny. Did, did you go? No, no, I didn't. How about how about one of my coaching friends who got stuck on Saturday having to go to the pumpkin patch? Oh, uh, wait, is this the person who uh who no. sent us the message last no. week? No, no. Oh, somebody completely different. Well, we tried to give him uh, a fair compromise on the show. Did he not take advice and, yep. and try to do the early thing or what? Well, yeah, I don't know. It didn't seem like it in the, in the text group chain I'm on. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. That's tough. And it was such a good week for college football too. That was great. Uh. Okay, this is the this is the same. Oh, so the, remember the guy last week who asked us about if you could pick any athlete that uh, to prevent injury, to, like eliminate injuries from their career, yes. who would it be? Um, we I, think, asked I said him, Bo Jackson. Who did you say? Yeah, Bo Jackson was the one you came up with. I don't know if I had a good one. We were talked about Ken Griffey Jr. a little bit that I thought was really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Bo Jackson was yep. the best name that you brought up. He said we asked him who he he was thinking when he came up with this question. Yep. He said Bill Walton, Larry Bird. Greg Ooh. Odin or Andrew Luck. And then he said, maybe uh, Wembenyama proactively, <laughs> which I like. 
That's a good one, actually. Uh, Larry Bird, though, really wasn't. I mean, Larry Bird had a great career. I, I, I wouldn't put Larry Bird in that category. Yeah, all. I guess just no. the back thing at the end, maybe yeah, cut it a little end. short. Yeah, at the end, but but he had a great career. Bill Walton, for sure. I mean, Bill Walton was just such a... I mean, he took a Portland franchise to a title. My goodness sakes. And that was just right after he dominated in college at UCLA. The Portland Trailblazers were a nothing franchise till he got there. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the guy could rebound. He was he, he had was just a great low post player. He was an outstanding passer. He was a shot blocker. I mean, he was a do everything center and just kept getting hurt time and time again. Um, Andrew Luck, yes, I'll give you that one. Um, although he had a, a a nice career and and kind of to his credit went out on his own own note. So some of it is injury related, but some of it was also he got tired of the whole get hurt, get surgery, rehab, come back. He could have come back. That that was his own choice, right? Yeah, but I think to that guy's point, a lot a lot of people might think Andrew Luck has the chance to be one of the better quarterbacks oh, of all yeah. time if yeah. he doesn't have those injuries early yeah. on and continues his career. Greg Oden is the one where it's like, I, I, yeah. I would be interested just to know what he ends up being, but I don't think yeah, it, I, I, it reveals an all-time sure. great career. I'm kind of with you on that. I'm sorry he got hurt, you know, because I, I would have liked to have seen it play out too, but I'm I never thought he was a special NBA talent. Or was that yeah, going to be? In a, in a way, it kind of feels like he was his career would have been right at the beginning of big men like him kind of going by the wayside. Right. right. Um, he might have had some good years left before that that transition really went through. But uh, yeah, I don't think he was going to be some type of new talent that we hadn't seen before from a from a big's perspective. He's not like the the Wembenyamas of the world, or the even like the Porzingis's or the Chet Holmgrens who. Are, are these unicorn type bigs. I mean, he was just a, a traditional low post seven footer. Chad Holmgren's already trending in this direction. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, wish uh, he wouldn't have had that injury, but anyway, this guy's question for this week was what's the best Halloween costume you have ever done or seen skinny. Um, have you ever dressed up for Halloween since I, the I, age of oh, 12? Yeah, actually uh, we, uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, one of our friends had a, had a Halloween party. We had to dress up. I dressed up like a woman. And this is a true story. So, I don't think you're allowed to do that anymore. Uh, probably not. Well, I can identify as one if I'd like. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I'm you have not. to do it every day. You yeah. can't do it for like one day. <laughs> That's a good point. So I, I actually did the whole lipstick and everything. And for whatever reason, in, in that <clears throat> part of my life, <clears throat> it was a big drink for our generation. What was? So slow gin. Slow gin. It's, okay. It's, it is what it is. You, you mix it with like mellow yellow or Sprite and mm. you thought you were big time. But it also was a was a pinkish colored drink. And so that left with the lipstick and all that, a pinkish ring around my whole mouth. So I got home that night. My mother and father were out of town. My grandmother was watching us and my sister had a friend sleep over. <clears throat> so my sister and I shared a bathroom. So it was like probably two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> I had to um, um, throw up. So I'm hugging the toilet. I, I guess I must have fallen asleep with my arms around the toilet after I threw up. Because all of a sudden, my sister's friend opens the door, and she is there laughing hysterically and ended up peeing, standing up. She peed on our carpet. She was laughing so hard at the sight of me. So two things there. One, amazing that she found you like that. But two, uh, was this a a carpet in the bathroom situation that you're telling me right now? Yep. Oh, man, that's such an old school thing. Yes, it is. Isn't that wild that there used to be carpets in bathrooms? Yes, yes. Every time I see a house like on Zillow now that still has that, I'm going, oh, my God, they haven't replaced this stuff in like 40 years. And Rick, it's it's that house that's about six doors down from where you grew up. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. 
Yeah, for those who don't know, it's been brought up multiple times, but we uh, actually grew up on the same exact street, just uh, like you said, about six houses away from each other. Uh, different time zones, different yes, eras much. of the very street, much. but yeah. Um, all right. It, this guy says a nearby house has in their front yard two inflatable skeletons on top of each other in a suggestive position. What is the most tacky decoration Skinny's neighbors, past or present, have had up in their yard? I don't know about tacky. I will say we, we have um, two doors down from me. There's three houses in a row that have multiple decorations in their front yard. I mean, multiple. I mean, they went all out, I think, as a group to do it. They have little kids, so I give them a pass for it. I, you know, if they, if, Does if, that bother if, you normally? Um, people do all the lawn stuff? Bother me is not the right word. Again, I think they've actually done, they, they probably, I would say they've overdone it, but they've also done a really good job with it at the same time. I mean, they went all out for this. So I kind of, if, if that if that's your thing, I'm, I'm going to kind of respect you for it. I, it's not my thing and you're not infringing on me. I, I mean, I have to see it when I drive out of the neighborhood. It's not like I see it and go, you stupid. They got little kids and they like Halloween and okay, I'll, you're, you're good. I'm good with it. Same feelings on Christmas decorations, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, a few lights here and a few lights there, man. I I don't I mean, people that do people that go out. If that's your thing. That's your. It's just not my thing. I got too much other stuff to do than do that. Yeah, I I don't. Well, I'll never have it at my house. In fact, we I don't think we did any decorations last year. But I do find it like kind of funny when people do like you know the sixteen inflatable snow globes and deer and. Santa in the sleigh all in their front yard like that always kind of cracks yeah, me we've, up. We've, we've got a front porch with a couple of uh, kind of rocking chair type things. We put a couple of inflatables out there, but they, they come down at the end of the night. They go up during the day and they're down at night. One of my buddies, his mom used to have uh, some like bunny statue type things. I think they're made <laughs> out of concrete uh, that she had in the garden and they're in two different positions. One looked like it was kind of like standing up on its hind legs or whatever, looking around and the other is kind of on all fours leaning forward. And as you can imagine, teenage boys might do, uh, we would put those in suggestive positions as well for his mother when she'd get home. Yes. Yeah. That was always enjoyable. (laughs) That's a cheap laugh. Of course. All right. And finally, we'll wrap it up with this. How much chat do you like to have with the person cutting your hair skinny? Um, it's funny you say, I just got my hair cut two days ago and we were pretty silent for the first five or so minutes. And it only takes about 10 minutes for my hair cut to get done. And then we started talking about airplane travel and, and it was fun. It was a good conversation is, you know, I don't feel like I will necessarily start the small talk. If they started, I don't mind continuing it up to a point. Um, there is a fine line there. There's no question. There is a fine line there. And if, if, if the hairstylist chooses not to speak, I'm okay with that. I mean, you're there to cut. I'm there to, to get a haircut. You're there to cut my hair. And if you choose to speak, I'll speak to you and strike up a conversation. If not, uh, no, no hard feelings. I'll pay my bill and move on my merry way. You sound like you go to a lady. Sounds like you're not going to like a barbershop. No, okay. I go to big, big, I, I, big league haircuts in Burlington and, and it's all ladies. So it's just, I don't have a specific stylist. I usually just the first, you know, I make an appointment for a time and go in and first come first serve. Um, most of them know me. So I, it, it's usually a hi, how are you? Good to see you again. But um yeah i mean i'm i'm like i said i'm not going to start the conversation usually if you want to start it i'll certainly continue like i said we started talking about air travel and the the the, the headaches of air travel and we kind of hit it off on on many ways and she was talking telling me about a couple trips she took i told her about a couple trips i took and so we made a nice conversation yeah i i like it if 
it's I, I look at similar to Uber in the sense that I like it if you just don't talk to me. If I can just sit there and relax and you just, you know, it's almost like a mini massage with the, the haircut thing going on, a little scalp massage. I, I enjoy that. But it's not like if I'm in an Uber, I don't want you to talk to me. I'd rather my driver just shut up the entire time, not say a word. If I'm getting my haircut, I'm okay with someone talking to me. It doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah, but I'm fine. I'm I'm great if you don't want to talk. I yeah, love I'm, sitting I'm, in silence. I am too. I mean, they they have usually ESPN or a sports thing on. It's kind of their thing, and yeah, I can sit there and watch that in silence too. But yeah, it doesn't. The conversation doesn't bother me. All right. That's all I have. All right. Very good. Appreciate the questions as always. We will be back uh, Sunday night uh, into Monday morning with our Bengals recap podcast. If the Bengals take on the Falcons, be sure to uh, to find that uh, at your favorite podcast provider or at our website if you so desire, local12.com. It'll be sometime um, either late Sunday night or into early Monday morning, but certainly be up there when you drive to work on Monday. So uh, thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.